So I was uh, putting uh, Isaiah to bed this week, and we were talking, and he uh, proceeded to tell me that he has nipples on his back. He has two nipples on his back, and that Curious George put them there. So that was part of the conversation, and if that wasn't weird enough, um, it was the next morning or a couple of mornings after Mary came, and she's like, I had this dream last night. Isaiah, he's five, was pregnant, and then he had a baby, and so things are getting really weird at the Cockrell home. Please, please pray for me, especially, and my family members, so... <laughs> Did you talk to Isaiah about hummus? He, we were at the, this is, wow, I'm, I'm just in awe right now. I went grocery shopping with Isaiah, and he was adamant about picking up hummus for Mary, because he knows that Mary likes hummus, so I don't know, it's weird. This morning, we get to continue with our, our sermon series, Back to School 2017, and most of you have been here for it. If you haven't been here for it, what we're doing is we're going back to children's Sunday school by looking at some of the stories that our children get taught in Sunday school, and we're looking at them from an adult's perspective, and my hope is that as we consider these stories and learn about the characters that our children learn about, that our hearts would just be won over by God's greatness and his love and care and grace towards us. So that, that is my hope. Um, we've been looking, you know, last Sunday we've been looking at uh, Moses, and, and we're going to continue with Moses in the burning bush today. I think there's more just gold nuggets there in this story that I think we need to mine and understand and and uh, celebrate. So we're going to be camped out in Exodus chapter 3. Let me pray, and then we'll dive right into it. So let me pray. Lord, we thank you that we have this opportunity to open up your word, open up your scripture, and to consider what does it mean for us today, and how might we love you and follow you with a, a greater heart of devotion. Lord, as we consider this call that you extended to Moses, I pray that you would help us to understand the call you have placed on our lives, and that you would help us to know what our response should be to that. Um, Lord, we're so thankful that you are the great I am, and that you have promised to be with us, you've promised to go before us, behind us, you hem us in. We are so thankful that you are our, our God and that you are Emmanuel. Speak to us, teach us by the power of your Holy Spirit. It's in your name we pray, amen. All right, so let me read this passage to you, and I I always encourage you to just really take in the words and be thinking about it. So I'm going to start in in verse 9 of Exodus chapter 3. And the the words on the screen, if if you don't have a Bible in hand. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So God's talking to Moses, right? Moses said to God, 
who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. All right, now I'm going to skip down now to the second part, or actually to chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, now put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out of his bosom. And and behold, it was restored like his other flesh. Then it will be, if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be, if they do not believe even those two signs, or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river and pour it on the dry land. The water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. Then Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord... Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. But he said, O my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well, and look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people, and he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God. And you shall take this rod in your hand with which you shall do the signs. Whew, that's a lot of words, isn't it? Holy moly. All right, so let's take a look at this passage. And what we have it was it, we have Moses right he's he's out in the desert right he was just tending his his father-in-law's 
flock of sheep. He's been out there for 40 years. And here, um, God appears to Moses in the burning bush. And Moses is, you know, receives this call from God. And his call is, I want to use you, Moses, to deliver the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. That's the call I have on your life. You are to partner with me in order to see this happen. Um, and like Moses, you know, one of the things we talked about last Sunday is that we've received a similar call, haven't we? We are to partner with God to see people rescued from the Egypt of sin and death. We are to partner with God to be his agents that go into a hurting world, that bring people to Christ so that they can experience the salvation that only Christ can provide. But you know what? We're also like Moses in another way, aren't we? We're like Moses in the sense that not only have we received this call to rescue people from Egypt, but we're like Moses in the sense that we often try and get out of this calling. We often try to get out of this calling God has placed on us to be his agents of rescue. We often let fear keep us from joining God on his mission. We often just think like, hey, let's, let's have somebody else do it. Let's have somebody else go out into a hurting world and share Christ and connect people to Jesus. And so this morning what I want to do is I want to look at these ways in which Moses objected to his call. And I want to look at God's response to his objections because if this fits you, if you sometimes have a hard time following God's call on your life, this, God's responses are so helpful and so important for all of us. Because I think we all wrestle with that to some extent or another. So let's look at Moses' first objection. The first objection is, who am I? I think one major hurdle that, that keeps us from boldly working for the salvation of other people is our view of ourselves when we compare it with the, the call, this great call that God has placed on our lives. We, we look at ourselves and we look at this mission of redemption that Christ is on and we just, we're like, who am I, right? Like, how am I going to help with that? You know, Moses he had learned the hard way that he wasn't sufficient enough to rescue the Israelites out of Egypt. He had tried it on his own strength, and he had just totally swung and missed. It just did not work out for Moses. He learned that the mission of redemption in Egypt that God was uh, working to make happen was so beyond Moses' intellect, his ingenuity, his skills, and his, his, his abilities, his, his power to lead, all of that. His, it was all too little for what God was wanting to have done. The call of God on Moses' life was a mountain, and his abilities, was, they were just like a molehill in comparison. And like Moses, we often you know, have that feeling, like this call to go and make disciples and to share our faith with other people. I think a lot of times, you know, our knee-jerk reaction is, who am I? I'm still learning what it means to even be a disciple. Who am I? 
Who, you know, I still struggle with sin. I, I have a lot of weaknesses and limitations. And who am I? I, I can't change a person's heart. Who, who am I? How can I participate on this? And I, th- I think we often will say, well, we look around and we're like, hey, that person, yeah, sure, they can share their faith. And th- this person over here, yeah, like I can see them being great at discipling another person. And yeah, I can see this person over here serving, uh, you know, someone in order to get to know them so that they, they can lead them to Jesus. But me, I don't think so. And what happens is, although God has qualified us, we disqualify ourselves. And what we're essentially saying to God is, look, God, you don't know what you're doing. If you really knew me, you wouldn't have picked me. You're making a terrible mistake, right? Perhaps this is something you struggle with, and this this struggle of who am I has really put you on the sideline in your Christian walk, and you're not, you know, going out with courage and boldness to hurting people, sharing Christ with them, loving them the way that Christ would like you to love them. And so we need to look at God's answer to this problem, the answer he gave to Moses. So to the objection, who am I, God responds by saying, I will be with you. You see, God's answer to Moses' concern was that Moses was looking at the wrong person. That was the problem. Moses was all wrapped up in who he was. He was all focused on his deficiencies, his lack of strength and his ability, his lack of knowledge. He was asking the wrong question. You see, Moses, instead of asking, who am I, should have been asking... Who is this God that has called me and has promised to be with me? That's the question you need to ask this morning. Not who am I, but who is this God that has called me to partner with him to reach people lost in sin and death, destined for an eternity, cut off from God and his goodness? Who is this God? And that leads us to Moses' second objection because he does get to this question. Second objection is, I don't know your name. So due to the fact that the Egyptians, they worshipped and believed in a lot of different gods, Moses couldn't just go to the Israelites and say, hey, God sent me to you, because the Israelites would have said, okay, what God, right? And so Moses, he's like, hey, I need to know your name so that when I go to the Israelites, they'll know specifically who I'm talking about. So for clarity's sake, God, I need your name. But you know what else? I think Moses not only wanted God's name for clarity's sake, I think he also wanted God's name for another reason. You see, in ancient times, names carried a lot of significance. Names not only helped you to identify a person, but they told you something important about that person. Something about their character, something about their ability, something about their mission. And so I think Moses wants to hear God's name because he's thinking, hey, if I know God's name, least I'm going to know a little bit more about this God who's asking me to do something so crazy and so big, something so beyond what I'm capable of doing. And so the name that God gives himself 
which by the way, when, when God names people, it is in this way that the ancients used to use it. It's significant. Think about when God, he gives Abram the name Abraham because it means the father of many nations. He gave the, Jesus, his son, Jesus, his name because Jesus means God saves. Jesus gave Simon the name Peter because Peter means rock, and it was on that rock of Peter that Christ was going to build his church. So if God, in the Bible, gives people's names to, to tell something important about that person, surely when he names himself, that name is going to tell us something important about him, right? So here's the name that God gives to Moses' question, what should I tell him your name is? So in verse 14, God says, I am who I am. And then also in verse 14, he says, I am. And then in verse 15, God says, the Lord Tell, you know, tell the Israelites, the Lord has sent me to you. This is my name forever. So I am who I am. I am in the Lord. Now, in the Old Testament, the name that is used the most for God is, and you'll find it in all caps, Lord. Now, you need to know that that word Lord in our English Bibles comes from the Hebrew word, which is Yahweh. Yahweh is God's personal name, and it's the name that is used thousands of times in the Old Testament. Now, John Piper, he's a, he's a pastor and, a, and a, an author. He has the view that God, in calling himself, I am who I am, and I am, was revealing to Moses as he had never done before to anyone else the meaning behind God's personal name, Yahweh. So I am who I am, and I am. Tell us about this personal God named Yahweh, the God of the Bible. So what do these names tell us about Yahweh? Well, Bible scholars will tell you, they they'll tell you that those names tell you a whole lot about God. The names I am who I am and I am tell us that God is eternal, that he's always existed and will always exist. You know, all other beings owe their existence to something else, to God, but God owes his existence to no one. He has no beginning. He has no end. There's no reality behind God. He is ultimate reality. He's eternal. I am who I am, and I am also means that God is self-sufficient. God isn't dependent upon anyone else for anything because he existed long before anyone else was ever created. So he can't be dependent on anybody else. And God, since he's eternal and since he's completely self-sufficient, God, he must be an inexhaustible source of power and energy. He, and he must be the cre creator and the sustainer of everything else. I am who I am, and I am means also that God is unchanging. When God says, I am who I am, he's saying, I will be as I will be. Like, I'm, I'm not going to change. I'm unchanging. So who is God then? God is Yahweh, the eternal self-sufficient, all-powerful, unchanging creator and sustainer of the world. 
That's who was promising to be with Moses. In effect, God was telling Moses, hey, you go tell the Israelites, and when you go talk to the Egyptians, tell them that Yahweh, the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the eternal, self-sufficient, all-powerful, unchanging, creator and sustainer of the world, the great I am, has sent me to you. And you know what? The same Great I am promises to be with us as we respond to his call to be his agents of rescue to this world that is so messed up and broken. Think about what happened in Texas last week. This world needs Jesus. You know... When God calls us, the call that he places on our life will always require more than what we are and what we have to give. His plans are so big, his rescue operation is so complex that we're never going to feel adequate. We're never going to feel completely equipped to heed the call. And if the focus is on us, we're going to be paralyzed by fear. But if we can shift our focus from ourselves to God and his promise that he's going to be with us and that he's promised us victory over the gates of hell, if that is our focus, then we will be able to respond to God's call in our life with boldness and with courage. You see, when God asks us to do something, we always have the choice. We have this choice Will I be asking, who am I, or will I be asking, who is God? Which question are you going to ask? Will our focus be on our weakness or on God's strength? God says, focus on me. Focus on who I am. So how do we do this in real life, right? So how do we keep our focus on the great I am so that we're able to march out into the world as his army with boldness and with courage? Let me just give you some practical thoughts. Worship music is fantastic for keeping our mind on the great I am. I'm so grateful for God's gift of music. That's one way to do it. Scripture meditation is great for this, right? Talking with other Christians about God's greatness helps us to keep focused on who God is and his strength and power and not our own deficiencies. Reading books that focus on God's character and attributes are extremely helpful. And so I ask you, and another thing that's extremely helpful is having time in our prayers for adoration. Just to take time to simply reflect on who God is has a powerful way of keeping that in the forefront of our minds. And so I ask you, how do you have times, regular times in your week, where your focus is on the majesty of who God is? Third objection. What if they don't find me credible? So in Exodus 4.1, Moses He objects to God's call by saying, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. In other words, what if they don't find me credible? What if they don't find me trustworthy? What if they don't 
listen to me. I think we often feel this way in regards to this call that God has placed on us to be his ambassadors. I think we often are insecure and we think like, what if they don't listen to me? What if they don't trust me? What if they don't believe me? What if they reject me? What if they think that I've lost my mind because I'm talking about Jesus? And who wants to talk about faith and God anyways? And I'm just not going to say anything. They're not going to believe me anyways. They probably don't want to talk about it. So I just won't say anything. And what if, what if I bother them so much that I lose them as a friend? So what was God's answer to Moses with this concern of, will they find me trustworthy? Will they find me credible as a messenger of you, Yahweh? So God, what he does is he gives Moses this ability to perform some signs that will enable Moses to find credibility in the eyes of of the Israelites. And so Moses, he's able to turn this rod, his shepherd rod, into a snake, and then he has this ability to make his hand um, become leprous and then heal it again. These would be the signs that would prove to the Egyptians and prove to the Israelites that he was a credible messenger of Yahweh and that his message carried credibility, right? Well, Moses hasn't, or God hasn't given us these powers and signs that Moses can do. I don't know anybody here that can turn a rod into a snake. If you can, let me know. I want to see it, and we'll talk about it. You can do it for us. I would love to see it. But you know what? God has given us something else. He's given us another power that actually works itself out in signs. And it is this, God has filled us with the power, the Holy Spirit, to live in such a way that our actions bring credibility to us as a messenger of God and then bring credibility to the message we proclaim, that Jesus is the true king of the world and that he can transform people from the inside out with his kingdom power. And so the fruit of the Spirit bring credibility to us in our gospel message. Lives marked by love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, especially in the midst of suffering, are extremely powerful pieces of evidence that Jesus is alive, that he is real, that he has the power, power to transform and to renew and to restore. And so I ask you this morning, what does the message of your life proclaim? What does the message of your life proclaim? Does it proclaim that there's nothing more important than Christ and his mission to heal and restore? Does it shout that God has power to transform? Does it boldly declare that God is a God of love, joy, peace, kindness, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? You see, if our actions don't bring credibility to the message we proclaim, then nobody is going to listen or believe the message we proclaim. And worse yet, they'll come to despise our God and the message. Objection four and five, these are quick. 
I am not good with words. So Moses' fourth objection is, Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech. I'm slow of tongue. In other words, I'm not a speaker. I'm not a teacher. I'm not a good communicator. Even if I try and share, it's not going to make sense, you know. Like Moses, I think we often can feel that way. We can often think, like, I don't know what to say. I'm not going to make any sense if I try and say something about Jesus. I'm going to say something, and I'm going to look stupid. I'm going to make a fool of myself. Worse yet, I'll say the wrong thing and actually push the person away from Christ instead of to Christ. It's better that I just don't speak up. Better safe than sorry. So what was God's answer to Moses' objection? I don't have the words. I'm not a good speaker. God says to Moses, who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. As we respond to God's call to be his agents of healing and restoration, God will give us the words when we need the words. He promises to recall to our minds the things that he has taught us and the things that we have learned. In fact, that is one particular ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says this to his disciples in John 14, 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Jesus also said in Luke 12, 11, and 12, Now when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Now, does this mean that we can just be perpetually unprepared to share the hope that we have within us? No, it doesn't mean that. I love this quote from John Piper because I think it's helpful on this point. He writes this. It is plain from the life and teaching of Jesus and from the ministry of the apostles that the work of the Holy Spirit in teaching us in that very hour what we ought to say does not include creating new scriptures in our heads. The way the Spirit works is by calling to mind the biblical truth we have already treasured in our hearts and by helping us with clarity and conviction and timing and situational discernment in love. Dozens of intellectual, emotional, verbal, physical, and spiritual factors coalesce into a spontaneous witness to the truth. The Holy Spirit governs them all, but he does not start from scratch with every opportunity we face. He stirs us up, he stirs up his people to let the word of Christ dwell in them richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Preparation is needed, but not anxious preparation that's the difference because when we're thrust into different situations and when we respond to god's call to be a, a his mouthpiece he will give us the words we need when we need them objection five will you please just send someone else i love moses right like he finally just gets to the point where he just says he comes right out and says it like, look, I do not want to go. Can you just send somebody else? Like Moses, we often want God to send someone in our place, don't we? 
We want God to send someone else. Don't send me. Send somebody else. But you know what? God has a reason for choosing you. He has reasons that we don't even understand. And I think part of that is God knows exactly the way you're wired because he wired you. He knows your personality. He knows the connections you have. He knows the influence you have. He knows the experience you have. And he wants to leverage that to reach out to the people that he has placed into your life on purpose. He wants to use you. And so God doesn't want to use somebody else in your place. But here's something encouraging. He does want to send you help. One thing that strikes me as I read through the New Testament and even the Old Testament is how often God sent people out to be his ambassadors in teams. They needed the accountability and support and the encouragement of one another. We need it as well. And God will send us help as we respond to his call. And so I want to just sum it up and wrap it up this way. I can challenge you with this last Sunday, and I'll challenge you with it again. I really believe that if you're a follower of Jesus, each one of us should have at least one other person that we are working for their freedom from their Egypt of sin and death. And if you don't have a person that you're praying for, that you're trying to be intentional and strategic about, being with them, to learn them, to know them so that you can love them to Christ, I encourage you to be praying, God, who is that person? Reveal them to me. The stakes are too high. I mean, this is such serious stuff. Like people are literally the walking dead around us who do not have the hope that we have. And God has called us to be that those hope bearers. And so And I also encourage you to be thinking about not who you are as you minister to this person. Because the enemy is going to want to say all these different things of why you're not qualified. And they're not going to listen to you. And you're not going to have the words to say. And they're not going to find you credible. You know, that's the work of the enemy. And so how as you pray for this person and as you strategically think how I'm going to interact with this person. Be praying, God, help me to keep my mind on not who I am, but who you are, the great I am, and that you're with me. This is how our world's going to change. We have the answer. We have the answer to all the mess that is going on in the world. And if we that have the answer aren't bold and courageous, that answer is not going to be passed on. This is important. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would not just be a congregation of people that come here so that we can feel better about ourselves and so that we can live in our own little comfortable Christian circle and praise you and then, you know, go and do, you know, our comfortable thing during the week and that's just how we live and Lord, you have called us. We are your kingdom of priests. We are your your holy people. And you have placed a call on us to go to the ends of the earth to make disciples, to baptize them and teach them so that they can experience, so people can experience the joy and the hope that we have in you. 
Lord, I pray that uh, we, you would mobilize us with that kind of a mentality and perspective that we wouldn't be thinking, oh, somebody else in the church will do that. So, you, God, call, you know, have them do that. They're better for it. Have them do that. But that we would each see this and feel this responsibility to be your light into our network of influence so that we can partner with you to see people one to you for your glory and for the healing and the salvation of this world that you dearly love. We love you. Help us not to operate in fear, but to be bold and courageous because you, the great I am, are with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray.